This episode of The Better Business Show is brought to you in association with Triodos Bank, a global pioneer in sustainable banking using the power of finance to support projects that benefit people and planet. To find out more, head to triodos.co.uk. Hello and welcome to The Better Business Show with me, Tom Idle. Thanks for tuning in. Coming up this week. I was working in big suppliers, negotiating with big supermarkets, and I could see what went on, the way they treat workers and the way they treat suppliers. That is not a sustainable business model. That's going to fail at some point. Yes, we're with Ruth Anslow this week, one of two sisters taking on the big boys in the UK's brutal supermarket sector. Stay tuned. Hello, yes, welcome back. Episode 40 of The Better Business Show, this is. Uh, Thanks for coming back to us. Thanks for tuning in. Uh, A big thank you to our supporters at Triodos Bank. Um, Last week's episode was very well received uh, by all of our listeners. And, yeah, we introduced you to the bank. We introduced you to um, what it means to be a sustainable bank. And we posed that question, you know, what's the point of banks anyway? Uh, If you missed it last week, do have a listen. Um, It'll be on our website, www.betterbusiness.show. Um, and we're bringing you the next three episodes in association with Trudor. So a big thank you to them for being a great supporter of the show. Um, so this week uh, is all about supermarket retailing, which always raises some interesting questions about food, about people, about uh, local communities. So often supermarkets, particularly here in the UK, but I know it's probably the same in the US and other parts of the world, but they really get a rough time uh, from uh, the mainstream media, from campaign groups, uh, from, from activists, from NGOs, and rightly so. I mean, they're such a massive part of uh, many people's lives and uh, the way we interact with them, the way we they, they're a part of our uh, the fabric of the the, the the high street here in the UK. Um, so we've got an interesting conversation going on about supermarkets with our guest Ruth Anslow from Hisby, uh, which stands for How It Should Be, uh, a community supermarket. They're based down on the south coast here in England, in Brighton. Uh, so that's coming up. Straight after that, we'll be talking to a guy called Marcos Eguiguran. He's the executive director of the Global Alliance on Banking Values, which is a network of banks uh, from all across the world who share that same value that Triodos does about how you can use finance to really uh, support positive economic, social, and environmental impact. Um, so stay tuned for that too. Big week coming up for the GABV. Uh, we'd love you to get involved in that conversation. Uh, this Thursday, it's the annual Banking on Values Global Day. So there's a whole bunch of t- sort of initiatives and events going on. Um, so we'll be telling you all about that uh, very shortly. Now, a couple of years ago, uh, the Transition Towns movement carried out a piece of research called the Economic Blueprint, and they wanted to explore how and where people were spending their money in uh, the town of Totnes, which, which is where the transition movement started. Um, if, you're, if you're not aware of the Transition Towns movement, very worth checking out. Um, have, a look, have a look for it on Google. Uh, but Totnes is a, is a town in Devon, down in the, the, the far southwest of the UK. Anyway, this report um, found that £20 million was spent every year in the town's two big supermarkets on food and drink. And in comparison, half of that, so £10 million, was spent in more than 60 independent food shops 
in and around the town. And the research showed that kind of relative to retail spend, the local food outlets actually supported three times more jobs than the big supermarkets. And this trend is kind of mirrored down the food chain with producers that provide for local markets, uh, employing on average 3.4 full-time jobs compared to the regional average of 2.3 jobs per farm. And staggeringly, it found that if people could be encouraged to shift just 10% of their food spend away from the supermarkets, it would bring £2 million extra into that local economy. Now, supermarkets notoriously are bad for local communities. According to our guest this week, about 95 pence in every pound spent in a big supermarket actually leaves the local community, the local economy. Obviously, in the news last week, massive spat between Tesco and Unilever, uh, which saw that the former refusing to stock uh, the range of products from the latter because of a price dispute which was you know fueled by the value of the pound falling so much but it, what, what it reminded us once again is what a complex difficult and brutal market supermarket retailing can be from the way supermarkets treat their suppliers to the wages being paid to staff to that interaction and engagement with local communities which is so fundamental to everything they stand for and against this backdrop it makes the subject of this week's show all the more fascinating imagine taking on the supermarket fraternity at their own well-trodden game and then taking a completely different approach to their supplier customer relationship one that's built on trans transparency, openness and fairness. Ruth Anslow, one of three directors of HISBE, which stands for How It Should Be, including her sister Amy, spent 15 years working for suppliers to the big supermarkets in the UK. So she knows the problem. She's seen those problems firsthand. But she also saw a massive opportunity to create a new model for supermarket retailing, one that was fit for the 21st century. Here's her story. Good morning, Ruth. Thanks for being on the Better Business Show. Um, so it's 9.30 on a Tuesday morning. You're in the heart of the no doubt bustling Brighton on the south coast of England. And and you're at your supermarket. You've just opened the doors. What, what sort of customers do you get this time of day? Uh, actually, um, Brighton's a little bit slow to get started, to be honest, Tom. it's um, is it? This is the time of day where the team are running around getting the store ready for the day because um, we don't get a lot of customers in before about 10 o'clock ah, okay. so, so i'm, I'm um, the people on the shop floor now are bustling about putting stock out getting the fruit and veg looking great and, and gearing up for the day it's uh, it's quite a quite a busy time of day but um not many customers at this time okay so so tell us about the store give us the the, the top line and we can sort of delve into the details in a moment but, but this is a new kind of supermarket isn't it tell us all about it yeah, it's um, a supermarket based on a social enterprise model. So we kind of, my sister and I got a bit of a bee in our bonnets about the way supermarkets work, um, that it's all very much about uh, maximising their own profit. And um, often that's at the expense of, uh, of suppliers and staff and, and the local community. So um, for us, we are reinventing the way supermarkets do business. Um, and it's quite revolutionary because our policies are all about putting people in the community before our own profits. So we're a social enterprise, uh, which means that we're committed to social purpose and building social value, not just making money. Um, and we have a lot of things in place that um, are in the interest of staff, customers and shoppers. Okay. Um, and guests are about making good food more affordable, not, not more expensive. 
Sure, sure. On the, on the face of it, you're set up in the same way that most sort of local supermarkets are, are you, in terms of what you stock and what you don't stock? In terms of what we sell, yes, but we do different brands. So we have all the things you'd expect to see, all the uh, fresh fruit and fruit and veg and fresh food you'd expect. But um, as much as possible, most of that's local, uh, which supermarkets don't do. Um, and then the packaged goods that we have, you won't find big brands on our shelves. You'll find um, the best alternatives that we can find to those big brands. Um, and it's all about getting the good stuff out there, the, the heroing the suppliers that do a really good job and create products that they care about and uh, are interested in health and sustainability and do things with, with, with values. So we're about heroing those suppliers. So you won't find big brands on our shelves, but you'd find all the products you'd expect. Yeah, right. I mean, it's, it seems like an odd question, this. I mean, I, I was going to say, you know, well, why? Why have you done this? Because, you know, when you start to look at many of the things you're doing, both in terms of the way you're, you're treating staff to the way you source food that you put on your shelves, it's very much a question of kind of, you know, why not? But what, you know, what is it that made you decide to create your own supermarket and to challenge the way that supermarkets are traditionally run what, what what was what what was happening in your lives that thought that made you and your sister think do you know what this is what we need to do well i guess that one of the biggest um instigators was that i'd been for 15 years working with the big supermarkets so i was working in big suppliers um unilever procter and gamble and sarah lee negotiating with 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 big supermarkets and i could see what went on so you know i you got very kind of acutely aware of um, what they're doing to the UK food industry and the way they treat workers and the way they treat suppliers. And I just looked at that and thought, that is not a that is not a sustainable business model. That's going to fail at some point because you can't con- you can't continue to squeeze um, people in that way and create something that centralizes profits, takes money out of communities and creates exploitation in the food system. We just can't continue like that. That is an old model, um, an old fashioned way of doing business. And it's time for a 21st century way of of selling food because it's food. You know, Mm. it doesn't really matter to me if people do these things to home insurance or, you know, holiday travel or, you know, whatever, whatever, uh, mobile phone bill, save money on those things, you know, cut, cut, cost and value out of those services but this is food we're talking about and um i just feel passionately that it's different and that um a 21st century supermarket should be striving not only to support the suppliers that care not only to um create value uh valuable jobs and create pride in the community but to, to make good food the good stuff more accessible and more affordable so that that's that's one of the key things for me that's one of the key reasons we do it yeah, and I guess that you know the 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 main argument that the the big boys will put forward is that you know they put so much pressure on suppliers, so that they can pass those cost savings and that efficiency down to the customer, in a in a hugely competitive market. How are you able to get that balance right to make shopping at his be you know attractive to customers while you're treating suppliers fairly and paying them well? How do you get that balance right? Well, we we're nice to shoppers too. I think. Um I think, yes, of course, supermarkets would say that, but then they're making billions in profit. Um, And, you know, there's a lot of studies done. There's a lot of understanding of what big supermarkets do to local communities. And and the balance is just way off because they're they're centralizing profits out of town. Every time you spend a pound at 
at one of the big four, 95p leaves your community. Um, they centralise profit. And, and I think you can see the impact of that on high streets and on communities. So, I mean, people, people shop with us um, because they just want a change. They want to support a local independent alternative to a supermarket. A lot of people have been waiting for one because at the moment there's not much else around apart from health food stores, you know, and they're they're often too expensive or kind of elitist or posh looking, you know. Um, But it's all about um, the service they get and people more than anything value the staff here because we just treat customers like people. Um, and we, you know, we create a nice experience for them. So that's something that the uh, the other supermarkets just don't demonstrate, and, and customers notice the difference. Well, I was going to ask you about your staff. Um, you, you know, you make a point on your website saying that you, you pay above the living wage. Um, I mean, what, what do you think you're getting with your staff? How are your staff different to those that work in some of the other kind of local supermarkets like Sainsbury's or Tesco or whatever? Um, what are you getting by, by, by treating staff in a different way, do you think? Well, I think we get we get everything because, I mean, they, they're the ones that create the shop, really. But, um, well, first off, by paying above the living wage, we get the cream of the crop you know we get hundreds of cvs and we're able to um pick the people who who really stand out and, and pay them well um and um but 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 what's interesting is that that most of the people that work with us or almost everybody that that stayed with us are here because they care about what we're doing um right. the pay is just the pay is just how it should be everybody should get the 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 living wage foundation living wage that's just standard and um that just enables people to pay their bills but what makes them stay is more to do with our autonomous self-managing team so one of the things about uh, working in in say sainsbury's that the staff uh, are in a very hierarchical uh, very controlling um organizational structure and i know i've worked there myself years ago and it works like that you've got managers in charge you've got people telling you what to do um here we we have a culture where people think for themselves they uh, problem solve creatively they're all in charge there's no one manager there's just 11 people who are on an equal footing and manage each other and themselves and there's there's different techniques and tools we've got in place to do that but it all adds up to a bunch of people who are um, trusted to run the shop without the three directors intervening um, and who create um, a different kind of atmosphere because they have they they come to work and there's an atmosphere of trust and friendliness and openness and the knowledge that they can solve problems as they come up and that they're all in charge so uh, that's really what we get and that in turn shows to the customers the customers can see that there's a bunch of people who are motivated and want to be there yeah, it's fascinating. Now, of course, Ruth, we're, we're spending some time exploring the story of, of, of Triados as well, uh, which is you know, very kindly supporting the Better Business Show right now. Um, you're obviously one of their customers. Can you tell us how Triados has been supporting you as a business? Yeah, Triados were fantastic because we, you know, it was important to us who we banked with. At the time that we were setting up, 2010, and then we opened the shop in 2013, there was a lot of scandals from the big banks hitting, you know, yeah. you've got, we were in the, we're setting up our business in the recession really. Um, and uh, there's a lot of all that kind of scandal about the banks and the mismanagement of money and all of that stuff. So we kind of thought, yeah, a 21st century supermarket needs a 21st century bank. 
Um, and so to trade us was kind of um, an obvious choice for us from that perspective. And then back in the day in 2012, when Amy and I had written our, our I think it was our fourth business plan, yeah. we needed to raise 200 grand. And um, they, we had a really good meeting with them in Bristol with some of the most senior guys. Yeah. And they look at, looked at our plan and our pitch and kind of pulled it apart in the nicest possible way. But they just kind of really helped us frame the financial um, package and support that we needed and they helped us and gave us loads of support and help on how to get started so we had several meetings with them and then eventually um, they gave us a £20,000 overdraft so our overdraft is with Triodos, our banking is with Triodos and they continue to be a, a great supporter of Hisby right. um, so yeah it was it's kind of uh, we went to them for the brand and the values, but we also got the the expertise and the the listening um, that you'd want from a bank. Yeah, so you're not just getting a, a, a yes no. You're getting a actually we really want this to happen, and and we'll help yeah. you make it happen, which is exactly what you. They wanted us bank. to get there. That's right. They yeah. wanted us to get there. So that when two sisters walked in with a with a vision for a new kind of supermarket they were listening and they they might have looked at our first plan and thought oh i can't see that bit working but they they helped us develop it and get there and that was invaluable to us that's something that another bank wouldn't do yeah 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 uh, now going back into the store there's a couple of things i wanted to ask you about one was food waste which is obviously getting yeah. a huge amount of attention right now particularly here in the uk uh from from the mainstream media which is great i mean what happens with your food waste in store how do you kind of reduce that how do you kind of stay on top of that well we avoid it because the thing is most supermarkets plan in massive amounts of food waste so they have full bursting abundant shelves because that's what sells. So, right. you know, the, the supermarkets have created this market for food waste, and it's good that they're kind of starting to take responsibility for it now, but it create, you know, they create an enormous amount of food waste and overproduction in the system. So, you know, what we do is we're committed to never throwing away something that can be eaten. So what we do is if something's going out of date, we monitor it really, really closely, um, stuff as it's going to reach its uh, sell-by dates, and and we um, reduce it down and highlight it in store so it goes, and customers get to know which days we do that with which products. Um, and so at the end of the day, we have very little left. Like, we might have four things at the end of the day that we can't sell legally, um, and maybe a battered bit of bread, and either the staff take it or we just give it away to people on the street. It's like you don't have to have food waste if you don't want to. Now, the flip side of that, Tom, is that sometimes we have gaps on the shelves. So on a Wednesday, um, we're we're low on meat um, in in the shop because meat gets delivered on a Thursday, but because we won't overorder and overproduce, then um, we don't, you know, we'll have gaps. But customers kind of know and forgive that. They They're like, well, okay, it, yeah. Because yeah. you can't have both. You can't have full and busting shelves and not waste any food, which is the crux of the problem in the first yeah. place. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I guess your customers just get that, do they? they? They appreciate that and they understand that, do they? Yeah, they do. I mean, they know that we're not Tesco. They know that we're trying to do something different and they use us in a different way. So people will come in on a Wednesday and they'll know that, uh, okay, there might not be a, a, a busting full of mm. meat fixture, but what's there, there'll be reductions and there'll be some good bargains to be had. Yeah. So, you know, they kind of, people just 
do it in a different way. And you know, nowadays where we are, it's all street, uh, it's all high street shopping. People are shopping on foot where we are. They'll, they'll pop into Aldi and they'll pop into us and they'll pop into co-op. And people are used to shopping like that in a shop like ours anyway. They'll pop in for some things to one place and some things to another place. Yeah. And you also have this focus on, on making sure that the foods you, you stock are, are healthy options. What products or brands will you not sell? Okay, so we won't sell, we uh, use, for all our package stuff, we use the Ethical Consumer Index, um, which is a really well put together um, body of information about what brands do what. And those that demonstrate ethical uh, values we use. And we have to get the balance right because there's no good stocking really, really expensive um, alternatives to main brands when you're trying to be a supermarket. But we have found that we can get good prices. And we have found that on many, many things, it's not naturally more expensive. Um, so we don't have, for example, um, the big brands breakfast cereals. We don't have Kellogg's and Nestle and all of that. We we have um, Root Health and we have Infinity and we have stuff that's um, uh, really good, healthy, values-driven alternative. It's stuff people should be eating. Um, and we make it as cheap as possible. We sell a lot of that stuff loose. So you can come in and you can get um, breakfast cereal loose um, and because it's not packaged and, you know, over-processed, highly processed, then it's cheaper. So it's um, that's our approach, really. It's about finding um, the, 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 super, the, the, the brands who are our little heroes who are doing it right. Yeah. Um, and and showing that you can fill a shop with those brands you don't have to fill a shop with the big brands when we first set up there were some people who I mean when you're setting up a business you get so much criticism and so much negativity from a lot of people and you know people would say to us well you're not going to survive unless you sell pot noodles and walkers crisps because <laughs> that's what people want and you know you've got loads of students on your doorstep and we're like well actually if you listen to people properly, that's not what they want. That's just what they're being given. Yeah. Um, so we kind of proved very quickly that people did want something else. And actually, we found um, we found a supplier that does posh um, pot noodles. So, you know, you can find alternatives to, to the products that are out there. Yeah. And so uh, what's the ambition for, for Hisby? I mean, you describe your Brighton store as a, as a pilot store. Uh, I mean, have you, have you proved the point? Can it work? Has business? Well, the business is proving it can work. So we started breaking even in our second year and we've done over three million pounds in sales now. And we've shown that the model can make a net profit and deliver on our social measures. So we've got, you know, measures in place that are important to us that we we um, deliver. For example, we measure how much money in the pounds we give to suppliers because it's really important. The whole shop really exists to get good food into people's hands and that's all about giving the suppliers a fair price so they can produce a good product instead of cutting the um the legs out of what they do so we give 69p between 67 and 69p and every pound we take just goes straight to the suppliers and you can see that on the tills when you're at the tills you can see how much money you spent went to the suppliers that day so um it's that's really what it's all about and then it's about creating an atmosphere that people want to be in um, and actually serving people. So, um, yeah, we measure other things, but we're hitting those measures. We've we've shown how to make one shop work, and we yeah. are constantly um, improving and upgrading that shop. Um, but now we're working on how do you create a chain of shops locally, and then ultimately how do you create those clusters um, 
of shops nationally. Okay, so that is the plan, is it? I mean, because, you know, some would argue that this is exactly the sort of business that would thrive in somewhere like Brighton, where you've got, you know, a pocket of enlightened, green-thinking kind of inhabitants. Uh, but, you know, open a store up the road. I'm, I'm up the road in, in Maidstone. Um, it just wouldn't, you know, wouldn't perhaps fly where I am. Uh, I wonder what the, the plan is, how you scale this business. Well, it's a matter of growing trends. So at the moment, Brighton, along with, say, Bristol and some areas of Manchester and Birmingham are, you know, little centres of growing um, food consciousness and an interest in local food and an interest in ethics and where food comes from. But all these trends are growing nationally. Um, You you know, there's a lot of um, information and communication around now about what goes into our food, how it's made and how the supermarkets retail our food that people don't like. And so these trends are growing everywhere and it's gone, it's gone beyond the kind of hardcore greenies um, and it's gone into just people who are on average shopping budgets and um, want to kind of get the best they can afford and care about food, you know, for their families. And a lot of students are into it. A lot of students are on low incomes and they come in and they use our dispensers of dry goods and they buy like 20 piece worth of pasta and then some tomatoes that going are going off the next day. So, you know, we, we've got this appeal that that's starting in Brighton, but we'll mm. follow where communities want it. So yeah. if we have um, if we have a group of people in Manchester who love what Hisby stands for and want to set up a, a cluster of stores there, we will help them do that. That's, that's okay. the idea, is that we follow where the people want to bring his be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, look, listen, Ruth, it's a fantastic model, and it's such a, a bold and brave move to be taking on the big boys uh, in such a, well, a brutal marketplace, and, it, and you're, you're doing a fantastic job with it. Uh, my in-laws are in Brighton, David and Dorothea. I'm sure they'll be down to see you at some point. But, um, we Brilliant. Look forward to, yeah, yeah, no, we, we look forward <laughs> to seeing what comes next for, for his be. But thanks for telling us your story, Ruth. You're welcome, Tom. Thank you. Now, as you know, Triodos is a a partner of ours on the show for the month of October, and we've been telling their story in a series of segments, interviewing their managing director, speaking with some of the bank's clients to really get a feel as to what Triodos does and what it stands for and how it's different and how it's proving that a sustainable banking model can and does work and it obviously posted some very impressive half yearly figures recently it's going very very well so we've been exploring that story and as part of that i thought it would be good to uh, check in with an organization of which triados is a member and that organization is the global alliance for banking on values the gabv it's an independent network of banks and banking cooperatives from all around the world who share the same values, the values we've been discussing with Triodos, uh, that, that share a mission to use finance to support positive economic, social, environmental impact. And I wanted to find out a bit more about this organisation, so I'm delighted to be joined by Marcos Egwiguren, based out in the Netherlands. Uh, Marcos is the executive director of the GABV, and he joins me now. Marcos, hello. Hello, how are you doing? I'm very well, thank you. Uh, I guess brilliant. That's great. Great to speak to you. I guess I made it fairly clear in that introduction. There, your members have this kind of shared mission. Um, But what is it? What the kind of criteria for banks that want to join the GABV? What is it they need to do? What do they need to prove to become a member? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Just before going into those, uh, into what we call the principles of sustainable banking, 
uh, let me just give you the, uh, an additional uh, information of our movement. We prefer to call it a movement, right? Because indeed, the GBB banks are our front runners, our real pioneers, our banks who share in the same principle want to make a real shift of paradigm in the banking in the banking industry. So we really be, want to become role models and want to influence all the banks, mainstream banks, policymakers, regulators, etc., to show that there is a possible it's possible to bank in a different way. Uh, much closer to humankind, much closer to communities, and much closer to the planet. So our banks are banks uh, in which profit is is not at all an, an anchoring objective. Right. Profit is just a, a consequence of doing the right things and doing them the right way. So that's what the GBB is about. At this moment, we have already close to 40 members all over the world. Okay. Uh, powered by uh, close to 45,000 co-workers in 30 countries. And we are giving service to 25 million clients already with assets uh, above 120 billion US dollars. So it's, it's growing significantly. And at this moment, we have uh, several additional banks in our pipeline ready to join the GBB coming from places as distant as Latin America and some countries in Asia and Africa. Okay. Uh, just going into into the the principles of the GBB bank. So, which are which are the things that every GBB bank has in common, and that we look at before accepting them into our family? Uh, of course, there are two basic criteria that we need to to really check. First is that we are talking to a regulated financial institution. Yep who is uh, able to take deposits and grant loans. Of course, this is obvious. And the second uh, main criteria is that the, the, the bank is independent. I mean, we do not accept those banks who can be, uh, let's say, greenwashing subsidiary uh, of a mainstream bank. Okay. So they have to, re to be really independent and focus on values-based banking. Okay. Having said so, having said so, the banks have to have to fulfill six principles. The first one is that the bank is definitely on the real economy only, and we we have a real in-depth look into into the balance sheet of the bank and really check that a very high percentage of the whole balance sheet, balance sheet is going into loans to real business, real. Uh, manufacturing, retail, whatever, but real economy. Mm -hmm. That's very important. The second principle is that the bank focuses on, on a triple bottom line approach. You are familiar with that because of three others, because three others obviously does also. Sure, yeah. And triple bottom line approach it just in 20 seconds means that we really go in depth into the loan portfolio of the bank and we check that most of this loan portfolio or all of this loan portfolio goes into companies or projects that are just trying to push environmental uh, environmental uh, projects or social projects or projects that are uh, that are uh, providing prosperity to their communities that's right. the second that's the second principle the third principle is that all banks have to be client centered so the client is not just somebody who we use but is a person, is a company, is a is a group of 
people who want to do their best to improve their societies. And we have to to have a, a relationship with our client, which is a partnership relationship, uh, long-term oriented, very much, uh, very much uh, human, humanly close. The fourth, the fourth, uh, the fourth principle is that all the banks in our movement have to be resilient long-term. So right. we're we're we we're really looking for banks who are very healthy. Very healthy in terms of profitability, in terms of solvency, in terms of liquidity, banks who uh, even exceed the regulate the regulation requirements. So banks who really, really have uh, this uh, this request. The fifth uh, principle is transparency. Bank whose governance model is transparent and is balanced, who has. Uh, a board which is really supervising what the management is doing, which has gender policies uh, in place, which has also a real uh, policy of uh, being 100% transparent in terms of what we do and how we do it. Mm. And very especially, and very especially, that we make sure that people and account holders and depositors know what we do with their money. Because yeah. the money at the end is theirs, not the banks. Sure. And the last principle, the sixth one, is that these all those five principles I mentioned that are really, really embedded in the culture of the bank. It's not just you know a nice, uh, a nice diploma, a nice paper hanging on, hanging down a wall, but something that you can smell when you talk to any coworker of that bank, starting by the CEO by just going into any uh, officer in any branch. So yeah. these are the principles that we check in depth. Uh, any favorite examples? There's a question I asked Bevis last week, but any favorite examples out there of where any of your members are, are kind of demonstrating where they're having the greatest impact, whether it's a company, whether it's a project? Any, any favorites of yours that you can point to as examples? Yeah, uh, one example, one pretty good example is... Uh, as one of our banks, we're very proud of because it's also a founding member of the GBV. That's Brack Bank in Bangladesh. Okay. Uh, this bank is a real remarkable case. Uh, I, I'll give you a couple of examples of what they do, which is uh, pretty much uh, like very, very pushing. One, one, one thing they do, uh, and they have been investing for quite a while, is that they started uh, some years ago a a division called Dcash, which is pretty, by the way, pretty well known in Asia. Right. Uh, Dcash is a is a division of that bank who uh, uses technology, mobile phone technology, that very very easy, very you know, very, it's very friendly for users, uh, uh, even for almost illiterate users. Okay. Uh, they just set up this this division uh, only using. Uh, only use a mobile phone to spread uh, spread banking accounts all over Bangladesh, and to and to get millions of people into financial inclusion. People who only, you know, two, three, four years ago didn't have any access to finance and access to a microfinance loan, access to a bank account, now have uh, access to these and have accounts and can get microfinance loan because of of Pcash or Brown Bank in Bangladesh. At this moment, if I'm not wrong, uh, only the service of the service of Bcash only 
is used by close to 16 million people in Bangladesh, which wow. is a, a real remarkable number. So this is real impact. This Incredible. is real impact. Yeah. yeah. The, 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 this is this is a, this is an example that I could mention. For uh, for instance, the, the enormous the enormous work that has been done by by Triodos back in, in Spain in the finance of of, uh, of renewable energy in the past, and also now in the finance of cultural uh, cultural initiatives and projects. Yeah. Or 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 the or the incredible also efforts that GLS in Germany or or Mercurban in Denmark are doing in in financing. Uh, Organic agriculture, and not only farmers, but also the whole of the whole of the value chain. Or, for instance, and just the last one, because I could tell you hundreds of examples. The great role that our bank, Southern Bancorp, uh, in the Mississippi Delta, Arkansas, and Mississippi in, in, in the United States, they are doing an incredible job in trying to improve prosperity in those depressed communities. In the U.S., so right. those are many others. But, yeah, know, hundreds of examples. I, 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 I could work for hours, and I don't think we have. I'm time sure for that. some some amazing <laughs> stories to tell. Indeed. Yeah. Um, I mean, I know you've got a big sort of celebratory day coming up later this week. Maybe you could tell us quickly about that, but also oh, how yeah. our listeners can find out more about the the GABV and and what your members are up to. Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, for any uh, listener that wants to know more about the GABV, please go to our website at by the way, is going to be uh, is going to be uh, with a new version live with a new version precisely this week. Okay. Uh, the website, of course, is www.gabv.org. Okay. All the information you can find all the information on our on our website. And a very important thing for anyone who wants to help us spread what we do and spread the world the world of values-based banking uh, this Thursday this week uh, the 20th of October we are celebrating for the third time uh, the values uh, the values-based banking day uh, there's going to be plenty of events with clients with co-workers uh, physical events I mean uh, uh, all over the world from Australia to Mongolia to Canada or Bolivia, uh, in uh, many of the banks, webinars uh, on the internet, and there's going to be a special uh, social media campaign with the hashtag of banking on values. So if you want to spread the word and help us with that, please uh, follow us on social media with the hashtag banking on values, and read and promote our conversations. We will be very happy if you can do it. Wonderful. We urge all our listeners to do exactly that. Uh, Marcos, thanks for your time. Thanks for telling us all about the GABV. Fascinating uh, collective of banks. And as you say, lots of stories for our listeners to explore there. But uh, I really appreciate your time. Thank you so much, Tom. It's been a pleasure. Marcus Egregurin there from the GABV. Um, yeah, as he said, just check out the hashtag Banking on Values. Lots of conversations to be getting involved in, uh, particularly this week with their annual uh, Global Day on Banking on Values coming up this Thursday.
If you haven't already done so, can I ask you to sign up to the Better Business Show newsletter? Just go to our website, betterbusiness.show. You'll find a massive box there at the top of the page. Give us your email address and you'll start getting our newsletter every Friday. And that will point you to all the latest episodes that come out that week. Uh, Not just these main shows that come out on Mondays, but also to our Friday Five uh, podcast that comes out on a Friday that is a 10-minute digest of all the latest news from across the week. Uh, we do that with Vicky Knowles, of course. Um, as ever, please let us know what you think of this episode of The Better Business Show. Let us know what you think of Hisby um, and also Triodos. There's plenty of conversations to be had around uh, what values-led banking actually looks like uh, that continue from last week. Uh, of course, if you want to uh, go back to episode 39, this uh, last week's episode, then I urge you to do that also. Um, But that's it from us for another week. Um, As I say, we're back again on Friday for our Friday Five. So until then, goodbye. Goodbye.